Let's praise him. He's the cornerstone. You can clap. Praise him. Celebrate. If you're new and you wonder why people are clapping, it's because we believe that. It's because we believe it is the most important thing. We sing cornerstone because we believe it's all about Jesus. Would you pray with me? Let's just pray. Lord, in this moment, we, we recognize that Jesus, it's all about you. Everything points towards you. It's through you we understand everything. You are the cornerstone. And our desire is to be found in you. Lord, I ask that this morning we would draw near to you. We would meet with you in this place. You would speak to us of life and the life you desire to impart to each one of us. Lord, as we open up your word, as we look at your life, Jesus, would you speak to us today from it? Lord, for each one of us here, might we just capture and hear the the message you would whisper and speak to each one of us. Would you point us towards life and the life that is found in you in ever-increasing abundance? So Lord, we honor you. We lift you up. Our prayer is that today you would be lifted up in this place. Lord of all. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray and we come and we enter. Amen. Amen. Why don't you grab a seat? Grab a seat. great to have you here this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Dean. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're in a series right now called The Table. And looking at this incredibly prominent, uh, incredibly powerful role uh, that we see all throughout the scriptures of the role of, of eating and drinking with one another. And uh, if, if you don't normally come to church or, or you do really, you know, it's kind of a fun series because it's just giving us a chance to stop and reflect on the importance of, of eating and, and drinking and, uh, and, and kind of the fun that can come through that, which is a really cool thing. So I hope you'll, 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 you're enjoying the series. We're going to be building, picking up where last week we were looking in the Old Testament and how even in, in the Old Testament we see this picture of a God who wants to meet with us, to eat with us, to sit with us around the table. And today we're going to be looking at uh, in the New Testament when God steps into this world in Jesus as one of us, as a human being, as a man, uh, what it meant for him, how, how naturally this kind of picks up from the Old Testament that one of the primary things we will see Jesus doing all throughout his ministry is eating and drinking. And, and we're just going to kind of look into that together today. You know, I was thinking about one of my uh, favorite meals as I've been doing. This is kind of a fun series to prepare because I'm constantly thinking about eating and drinking and some of the best meals, you know, that I've had. And, uh, and I was reminded of a particular meal uh, about, uh, about 12, coming up on maybe 13 years ago, and it was in China. And my wife and I, Lisa, uh, back in about, I think it would have been 2004, we, uh, we spent a month in China. We were leading a group. I was uh, finishing my studies, and, uh, and I was leading a group of, of graduate students and undergraduate students from university where I was. Uh, to do a month-long teaching English in China. We were partnering with the university there, and so we were going there to, to run kind of a summer camp uh, for kind of high school students uh, that were going through high school and getting ready for university to learn English. So we were in China uh, for about a month. A couple weeks into this, uh, you know, you're eating 
uh, you know, they don't serve the same Chinese food necessarily as well that we do when we think, hey, I'm going to order Chinese food. So we're eating, you know, Chinese food, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, authentic stuff, you know, constantly. You're eating all this, and, and it was great. I loved it. In that month, I learned to use chopsticks properly and forever because if you didn't learn, you weren't going to eat. And uh, so, but this one day, it was a Saturday, we had a break. We'd been there a couple weeks, and all the students we've been working with said, hey, we want to take you around the town. We want to show you around our city here, a city called Jinhua. It's just a little country town in China, maybe three, four million people uh, tops. It's just kind of a, you know, just this little tiny place. And uh, they said, we want to show you around the city, show all, all our favorite places. So we went with them. We went all around the city, showed us the downtown shopping centers. We went and did karaoke with them. You know, they rent this room. We spent the whole day, you know, karaoke. They'd sing their songs in Chinese and we'd sing American. It was, it was all, all kinds of fun. We're coming towards the end of the day, and, and we're like, we were supposed to have some team meetings. I'm kind of leading this thing. I was supposed to get back and meet up with our team, and we had a big meeting and all these things, and it's getting to the end of the day, and we said, you know what, we're going to have to get going uh, and get back to, to the rest of our team. And, and, and one of the kids, he, he, uh, his name, he called himself Seven. They all picked English names, and he loved the name, he loved the word Seven, so he called himself Seven. So I, it wasn't his given name, but that's how I knew him, was Seven. And, uh, and he said, my mom is making us dinner. And I'm like, oh, your mom is making us dinner? And there's kind of a pack of us, these kids and us and, and some of the I'm like, oh, he's, your mom's making us dinner? And we said, we'll do like one more thing. Uh, and he's like, and we'll go there. And we're like, well, we need to eat. And he's like, it's not ready yet. Dinner's not ready yet. I'm like, oh, man. So we're, we're thinking, you know, kind of looking at Lisa. I'm like, oh, what do, what do we do here? And, uh, and he's like, yeah, it's not ready. It won't be ready just yet. But she's making us dinner. And, and, and the thing was, we're in this city now. Been in China for a couple weeks. And he's saying, you know, my mom's making us dinner. But the thing we knew about this part of the city that we were in, that we had not, there was something there that we had not seen for a very long time. The whole time we were in China, it was nowhere close to where we were for this last couple of weeks, eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We knew that there was, in fact, a McDonald's. <laughs> there was a McDonald's. And there, it grew within me, uh, this thought that here we are. I mean, we're not going to be in the city of We've got this, this guy, he's like, yeah, my mom's making us dinner. And I'm just picturing, you know, this is high density area. What are we, we're going to kind of cram into a small apartment somewhere, uh, have to make small talk with people who don't speak the same language. It's kind of hard enough with these guys. We're teaching them. And the only thing he could say to us basically was, my mom's making dinner. And we're trying to ask, where's your mom live? Where are we going? Oh, uh, my mom's making us dinner. And so I thought, I was like, you know what? There's a McDonald's here. I said, how about we all just go get some McDonald's together? It'll be fast. It'll be easy. We'll finish up. We'll have something that's familiar, tasty, and then we can get back for our, our meeting. So we tell them, you know, don't worry about it. Don't bother your mom. Just tell her, don't, don't make dinner. Maybe call her. We'll just get some McDonald's. That'll be fine. And it was like, no, my mom's making us dinner. Like, and we kind of went along, and we're traveling. We're like, and so now we're kind of hiking. We're walking through the city. We have no idea where we're going. And, uh, and, and we're like, no, seriously, I think it's actually just over there. Let's just do it. Tell your mom. It doesn't matter. No, no, my mom's making us dinner. And we're like, oh, man. All right. And so I, I kind of conferred with the other teacher. said, look, we'll go. We'll eat quickly, and then we'll, we'll get back. We'll just go. We'll eat quick. She obviously made us dinner. It's too late to bail. Uh, McDonald's is now a pipe dream. Uh, <laughs> let's just get, at least go. We'll eat when we get back. So we're following. Now, eventually what happens is we kind of round a corner. We come to a gated area, and there are these two security guards holding guns. And they begin walking towards the pile of us and yelling at us in Chinese. I don't speak Chinese, but I can tell they're uh, looking at us with that look of, hey, kids, 
go somewhere else. And uh, so they're moving towards, like, okay, maybe it's not a great idea. And I still remember this kid, 70. These guards are coming at us, and he just holds up his phone. Never even looked at him. Holds up his phone and keeps on walking. I have no idea what was on his phone, <laughs> but it must have been something to the effect of, this is who my mom is. And uh, so we now walk through, and we come, not to a tiny cramped apartment, but to this incredible, I got a photo here even for you, this kind of ancient Chinese pagoda. Now we're like, are you kidding? Like, Whoa, seriously, this is where you're taking us for dinner. <laughs> and, uh, and so we come to this, and we're like, oh, this is, this is a little different than what we expected. We go inside here, uh, and it's not like a public restaurant or anything, and prepared on the second floor, where the only people in the whole place are all these banquet tables. And there is just enough for our entire team. We got a picture of one of those tables there even for you. And so we now are seated around all these banquet tables, and proceed to be served this multi-course, incredible Chinese banquet. It was phenomenal. It was, we, and, and we, we ate this incredible dinner. We're eating and we're drinking. I wish it, I could go back and have this meal now because I even appreciate the food more now than I did 12 years ago. But it was amazing. We have this whole meal. We end up walking outside this place behind all these gates. It was like a private botanic garden. And we wander through all these gardens. All, all these kids there, I still remember, they were like serenading. One of the boys are serenading. The girls are singing. Uh, and they're singing things like Moon River and all these. It was just... <laughs> Like this experience, and Lisa and I, we just kind of look at each other like, like, can you believe we're here? And it was like some point in the middle of all this, we just looked and said, forget the plans, forget getting back for the meeting, forget all the stuff we're supposed to be. We are going to enjoy this banquet. And the thing about this meal that I always remember, it was like, and while we were looking, while Lisa and I were kind of walking through the garden in the midst of us, looking at each other, and it was this look, we just hear, like, can you believe we almost chose McDonald's? <laughs> We, we wanted to go to McDonald's, and, and we, would have, we would have missed this. We'd have had no idea. We almost chose fast food over a feast because we just didn't even understand what was on offer. The question I want to give you today as we think about the table is to realize this. Jesus is inviting us. Jesus is inviting us into a life with him, a walk with him, a, uh, a journey with him, uh, to sit at the table with him. And can I tell you something? He's inviting us to a feast with him. And sometimes we end up choosing fast food because we don't understand what's on offer. Jesus got feasting. He got what it was all about. And, and we live in an era that will push us to sometimes choose fast food over a feast. Here's what I mean by this. I want to look at... Uh, one of the criticisms that was always leveled at Jesus and his ministry. You know what, people? You can tell a lot about a person sometimes by what their, their critics say, the people who don't necessarily agree with them. There's this great picture in, in Luke chapter 5. Jesus has been doing a bit of ministry. He's been eating, drinking, doing table, which is kind of what he did uh, a, a number of times. And some of the, the kind of religious people who were around at the time, they come to Jesus' followers with this this question. Have a look at this in, in Luke chapter 5, where they come to him and they, and they say this. They said to him, these are some of the, these, these, the religious people, they said to him, John's disciples, speaking of John the Baptist here, the people who follow John the Baptist, they often fast and pray. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. 
The Pharisees were, were kind of, these were, sometimes if you've been in our church, we think the Pharisees were the bad guys. The Pharisees were the good guys uh, of the day. They were the people who saw uh, their faith in God and the way God's word, they, they felt like it was getting uh, kind of squashed and going along with culture and getting watered down. And they said, we want to stay faithful and true to God's word. And they were committed passionately to living out God's word. And disciples and Pharisees, they often, they fast and pray, but they said, but yours, Jesus, your disciples... We don't get this. They just go on eating and drinking. And Jesus answered him, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and in those days they will fast. Now I want to read this to you one more time in the message version, actually, that, that kind of brings out in some different language what was going on here. Luke chapter 5 in the, in the message version, uh, it says this. I think we got that just a, a few heads. It says, they asked him, John's disciples are well known for keeping fasts and saying prayers. Also the Pharisees. This is what the, the kind of the good religious people are doing. They fast, they pray, they kind of fit the mold of what it means to be religious almost, you could say. He says, but you, Jesus, seem to spend most of your time at parties. Why? Does this, you know, for those of us who would say we are disciples of Jesus, do we realize this is, this is what was asked of him. Why is it you, Jesus, and your followers seem to spend most of your time at parties? You don't fit what we're expecting. Jesus said, listen, when you're celebrating a wedding, you don't skimp on the cake and wine. You feast. Later, you may need to pull your belt, pull in your belt. But this isn't the time. You got to love the message sometimes. And later, you know, but as long as the bride and groom are with you, you have a good time. When the groom is gone, the fasting can begin. No one throws cold water on a friendly bonfire. So you guys like raining on the, on the parade. This is kingdom come. I, I want us to start by, by just reflecting on, on this reality. You know, if we are to be followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, do we reflect what has been modeled for us? Do, we, do people ask the same questions of us that they did of him? Are people literally perplexed by the way we go on partying, celebrating? You see, in, in the scriptures, uh, the, the, the idea of a banquet, the idea of a feast, if you hear last week, we talked about how the whole of the scriptures point towards one day, this great feast, this great banquet in heaven. This is what it's all moving towards. Uh, sitting around a table for something that's just like a wedding feast that's beyond all feasts and parties that we know. In the, in the scriptures, eating and drinking is a sign of the joy of the kingdom. And, and, and Jesus is saying here, listen, the kingdom has come. When I'm, Jesus is, he's like, as I come, that future kingdom banquet that everyone's thinking about, it is stepping into here and now. And when the kingdom comes, when Jesus is present, the natural outcome and overflow is to be celebration, is to be joy. Can I tell you, these verses are speaking to something of the joy of the kingdom. The joy of the kingdom. And one of the things I think Jesus would say to us and wants to speak to us about as a church and as his followers is I think he'd say to us, have you embraced and are you living out the joy of my kingdom? Are people looking at your life going, what's with all the celebrating? 
What's with all the, the just carrying on? Why do you spend all your time having a good time? That's what they were saying. To Jesus. Why do you spend all your time partying? Here, if we are going to, if we're going to get this, there's a, there's a few things I think we got to grasp about how Jesus lived and, and what this was all about. See, Jesus had uh, a particular mindset that I think we, we need to understand. He had this mindset. Uh, we, we, we taught, he knew, he had come for a specific reason. He knew that in him, Eugene Peterson brings this out, because this is what these verses are pointing towards, the kingdom had come. And that when the kingdom comes, there is to be joy. If we are tasting and experiencing God's kingdom in our life, it should reflect itself in joy and in celebration. It's one of the primary reasons that people were drawn to Jesus. So in fact, we're going to look at a scene here. I want you to see another scene. We're going to back up a little bit. And, it, it, and if you think, you know what, I'd like to know a little bit more of that joy in my life. I'd like to know a little bit more of that. Okay, I want to follow Jesus in this. I think as Jesus follows all the time, we, we're, we think of all these things we got to do. And, and sometimes we think about following Jesus almost like a to-do list, which is the challenge that the Pharisees were experiencing. They had taken following God and turned it into a, a, a structure of to-dos and to-not-dos. Jesus came along and shattered all that. And if we want to follow Jesus into that kind of life, a feasting kind of life, there's some, some things we can see about the way he lived that, that I think point us in that direction. I want us to back up and look at this scene that, that actually is taking place just before those questions. And it comes to us in, uh, in Luke chapter 5, uh, backing it up a little bit to verse 27. It says, after this, Jesus went out and he saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting in his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now we can read this really quickly, uh, and it seems like a small thing, but this was an incredible moment. Jesus walks out. Here's this tax collector, a guy who's kind of got this job that can make him wealthy. He's what would have been seen as a sellout in his day because he was part of the Jewish people, but he was really acting on behalf of the Roman Empire, who all of the, the Jewish people were frustrated being under the thumb of the Roman Empire. And here's this guy who's kind of part of the machine. He's sold out to the man. He's got a wealthy job. He's alienated from his own people. And Jesus says, hey, you, leave all that and come follow me. Invites him to a new life. And Levi gets up. He leaves everything. Leaves his power, prestige, opportunity for wealth. He leaves all of it. He follows Jesus. And says, then he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. He's so stoked by all this. He holds a banquet. He has a party. And he says, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. So all his kind of old mates from his old world, they all come. Now the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect, they complained. Again, this is their complaint. They, these were the religious people. These are the good people. And they say, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? They are perplexed in this moment by how closely Jesus is rubbing shoulders with people they saw as outside of, of God's kingdom and, and how Jesus seems to be is so close to them. He's almost implying that he's accepting them and they were perplexed by this and they didn't understand it. And Jesus answers them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. 
Here's, here's what we, uh, is amazing about this scene in this moment. As again, here is Jesus. He is invited to this banquet by people that, you know, the people around him, we almost can't even understand in our culture how much social pressure within uh, this religion there would have been to, to not do certain things and do other things and, and follow all the rules. And Jesus invited somewhere. They would have said, no, you don't ever go there. And, and you don't go to these kinds of parties with these kind of people. And Jesus is, is happy to be there. And he's sitting and eating, and they're all looking and going, why, why do you do this? And Jesus, here, here's, he says, you know what? I've not come to call the righteous. Now, Jesus makes clear elsewhere, no one is righteous. He says, but I've come to call, uh, I've come to call sinners. I've come to, to try and connect people who know they are cut off from God. I want to help them find out they can know God. So if you don't think you need any help, I've got very little to offer you. But for everyone who kind of puts their hands up and says, you know what, I, I want to know this life God has, Jesus says, that's who I'm here for. Now Jesus, uh, is all this time he spent at these banquets, at these feasts that, that kind of got him, you know, into trouble, got, got him this, this reputation uh, that, you know, oh, I just keep on going on eating and drinking, spend all, all his time parties. Here, here's, I, I want to just walk us through um, a, a couple things we see in about how Jesus actually lived this out. That, that I think if we say, yeah, I want to follow him into that joy. I want to follow him into that celebration. I want to follow him into that kind of life. There's, there's a couple things that I think we really need to wrap our minds around. And, and the first one is this, that Jesus had a clear sense of, of, uh, this mindset that food and drink express the joy of the kingdom. They express the joy of the kingdom. We talked a little bit about this earlier, but I want you to not miss this. Becoming a person who eats and drinks and celebrates and earns the kind of reputation that Jesus did is not about thinking that food and drink are able to bring us joy. Food and drink do not bring us joy. They express the joy of the kingdom. This is how it works for Jesus. He says, listen, the, the groom is here. The kingdom has come. We're eating and drinking to express the joy of what is happening and who Jesus is. And the big picture of what God is doing in history. So when I speak today about us becoming a people who get what it is to enjoy food and drink, the point is not to think that if we just start having better dinners and more of them, that we will become joyful. That's not how it works. In fact, we live in a culture that is completely sold out to that line of thinking. And you can, and that experiences the reality that you can eat and drink the best food and have very little sense of joy in your life. Food and drink can't do it. We live in an era where, you know, what's common at parties and, and foods and things like that. How many of us have ever taken a picture of our food and then put it online? You know, all right, guilty. I've done it. Don't feel, I'm not here to shame anybody. There's times we look at it, we're like, that is just so, looks good. And it's gotten to the point where now it's like, it's so over, it's almost like this kind of cliche in culture, like take the picture. But you know what? And, and, and I've done that. It's not to say you're a bad person doing that. Sometimes it's like, that's just so beautiful and so amazing. But the reality is we live in a world where so many people just think if we just had enough beautiful food, enough amazing food, that will bring us happiness. We've never lived in a more materially affluent uh, time of human civilization. And yet there's so little joy to be found in our world. 
Because we look sometimes, and our culture looks sometimes to think food and drink will make us happy, but they won't. But for us as Jesus followers, we have to start with following in this mindset that food and drink express the joy of the kingdom. And if we understand the kingdom and we understand, you know what, this is where all life is heading. And one day I'm going to sit at a banquet feast with him. And, and that helps me know that even right now when things don't look so good, there will be a day in the future when he'll wipe every tear from every eye and we're going to sit and we're going to feast. And when you have that kind of mindset, you've got a joy that can be expressed and that you can live and that you can start to end in every season experience joy. And food for Jesus, banquet, tables, all these things expressed it. He had a feast mindset. He didn't have a fast food mindset. You know, I think the Pharisees, for, for our purposes today, in some ways, they embodied a fast food mindset. You know why? Because what does fast food do? What did McDonald's do? What does KFC, all these places, what they, they, they take something and they turn it into a series of steps. And they turn it into, if we just get this food and follow this process and people do this every time, we will yield a certain product. It'll be familiar, consistent. You can expect it quickly. And you'll get the same thing every time. Anyone who's been to a fast food restaurant, no, it does never actually work quite like that. It doesn't happen the exact same every time. But that's the point of fast food. And I just think the danger, when I say to you, are we choosing a fast food or are we choosing a feast? Sometimes we just end up, we don't mean to, but we buy into a fast food approach to faith. If I just do X, Y, and Z, I should get this result. God, I did my devotions, my quiet time this morning. Why did my day not go well? I did this, I should have got that. God, I followed you here and I've given up this and that. Why is this person sick? That shouldn't have happened. I did this and that. I should have got that. Or sometimes we just think, fast, I just, we need this to be efficient. God, my life is busy. All right, that's cool. I can do an hour 10 on a Sunday morning. That's good. It fits. And if I just keep doing it, we end up with this fast food approach. When Jesus, he's like, man, you can't microwave the kind of life I want to give you. You can't just, boom, punch it out. The life that he wants, it's a feast. It's not predictable. There's not a series of steps that you can just follow. He just invites us to sit with him and connect with him and be with him around the table to understand the kingdom and to let its joy flow through us. So how do you do that? What's those steps? The series? No, there's not a series of steps. Do we connect with him? Do we walk with him? Do we get what the kingdom's all about? Do we begin to let that flow through us in joy? Jesus also, one of the things you see so clearly about him that I think sometimes when we miss this step, we'll miss the joy. Jesus had a clear mission. He had a sense of what his life was about. There was a mission he was on about. When the, when the people come to him and they question him and they say, you know, why are you doing these things? Jesus says to him, you know, I've come not for the righteous, but for the sick. I've come not for the righteous, but for sinners, for those who are cut off. Jesus said, my life, the reason I've come is to connect people who have been cut off from the life and the joy of the kingdom. I've come to help connect them back to the heavenly father, to the joy of the kingdom. Elsewhere, he says in his kind of mission statement for his life, the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost, to come for those who are cut off from God and to connect them back to God. Jesus had this clear, definitive mission of what his life was about. And because he was about that mission, it didn't preclude him, well, I'm so focused on it, I don't have uh, time to, to stop you. No, but because he was about that mission, he was able to likewise enjoy the goodness of life 
as, part, as he lived out that mission. You see, all of us, if you're a follower of Jesus who's here today, if you're, if you're not, you don't have to, to worry about it. But if you are, do you realize you've been called to the same mission Jesus was? Every one of us. Jesus says, as a father sent me, so I send you. So your job description in life and my job description in life are the same. To be a part of Jesus' mission, to, to seek and to save what was lost, to reconnect those who've been cut off from the life that's in God, to connect them back. And whatever your other missions are, to be a, a certain profession, to build a business, to work a job, to be a mom, to be a parent, all those other missions we have, the second mission for all of us will always be different. But our first mission must always be the same. I am sent to help connect people back to their heavenly father to seek and save what was lost. And I do that as a pastor. You are to make your primary mission life following Jesus. This is what my life is about is to seek and to save what was lost, to help connect people back to the love of their heavenly father as a school teacher, as a student, as a doctor, as a fill in the blank for you. Every one of us. And if we, when we begin to make our second mission in life, our job, our career, our vocation, looking after our family, providing for our family. When we make that the first mission, we, we lose the joy because we end up just kind of, instead of trying to advance his kingdom, we're building our kingdom. And there's no joy to ultimately be found when our lives are about building our kingdom. If we want to have the same joy that Jesus had, we got him, we've got to take on this mission. And when you take on that mission, it changes how everything in your life is experienced. You're able to enjoy the good things as they come without living for the good things to come. And the last thing I just want us to see is Jesus' method. Jesus' method. You know, do you just, this is just the thing I love about this. Sometimes you preach and you're like, you know, you look at things in scripture and you're like, man, people probably find this hard. Uh, it's like, you know, you might feel like, yeah, I got to add something else in my life. There's a, a lot I got to do here. This just, do you know what? When we actually just look at what Jesus' method was for connecting people back to the love of their heavenly father, it's actually quite a lot of fun. Some of us, we, we, we could call this, this is evangelism Jesus style. This is what evangelism Jesus style looks like. Now, some of you hear the word evangelism, and you might think, oh, this kind of conjures up bad things. Evangelism, people kind of bashing people over the heads with Bibles and trying to, you know, just tell people, oh, you got to do this. So you might think of a TV. Or, you know, some of you who don't normally come to church, especially, you hear that word, and you're like, I knew that. I knew if I came to church, it's all about this, people pushing their views. No, evangelism means good news. And you know how Jesus spread the good news? as he had good times with people. He, he, says, he says, Levi, come follow me. You know, come with me. And Levi throws a party and just says, yeah, I'll come to your party. I'm going to sit around the table and I'm going to spend time with you. And we're going to eat and drink and it's going to be a good time. And it's going to make some of the religious people around me feel a little bit uncomfortable, but this is the kingdom come. And, and, and do you realize this is, imagine this is just our life. That we were people, Jesus, the, the great thing for Jesus, he's, he's the son of God. He is God fully present, fully man. He is, you know, God was never more present in that sense in, in so many ways than, than he was in Jesus. He stepped fully in the incarnation. God was present right there at those tables. But Jesus, again, as I was sent, I now send you. We are to carry God's presence in us and to get around the table with people and to sit and to eat with them. And can I tell you something? When we sometimes think, why aren't people more attracted to Jesus? It's because at times our expressions of what it means to follow him are unattractive. 
But when we simply make it our mission to know God, walk with him deeply, and then begin to invite others around the table, they have an opportunity to experience God. I want to read you a quick story that I guess speaks to this. This comes from a, this is a, a woman's testimony, a, a, a who, who shared her testimony in a uh, Christianity Today a number of years ago. She was just sharing her testimony of how God changed her life. I want to just read this to you. Just have a listen. This is her story of, uh, of this, this woman who was a professor. Her name was Rosaria Champagne Butterfield. And as she uh, shared her story, she described her younger self as a... Now, this is uh, different than that one. Yeah. Uh, she described herself, her younger self, as a leftist lesbian professor who despised Christians. She says these words, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians in particular were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into a conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark to end the conversation rather than deepen it. Stupid, pointless, menacing. That's what I thought of Christians and their God, Jesus, who in paintings looked as powerful as a Breck shampoo commercial model. <laughs> this is her experience of what Christians are like. They always want to argue, always want to just say, this is the way it is, exclamation point, done deal. And she obviously coming from an incredibly different worldview than the followers of Jesus. And she just found it so frustrating. So she ended up writing a piece in a, a magazine so and she said, it says this, as a professor of English and women's studies, Butterfield cared deeply about morality, justice, compassion, but for guidance she looked to Freud, Hegel, Marx, and Darwin, other you know, philosophers, not to Jesus, mainly because of his zealous, as she puts it, band of warriors. So here's this woman, she's just put off by everything about that, and she ends up writing this, this critical article about a, a Christian organization called Promise Keepers, and, she, uh, and it was a men's movement, so you can imagine as a, a kind of feminist professor and her feeling on some of that. So she writes this really critical article about this movement, and she talks about how she got two kinds of mail. She got fan mail from people who supported her view, and she got hate mail from people who didn't. She says, so she takes all the mail, and she puts it in two boxes. She saves some in the hate mail, some in the fan mail. And then she says this, one letter, however, fit neither box. In a kind and inquiring spirit, a Presbyterian pastor from Syracuse, New York, encouraged her to explore further her conclusions. How did she arrive at them? On what basis did she decide on her moral convictions? After first throwing it away, she later fished it out of the recycling bin and stared at it. And eventually she accepted the pastor's invitation to dinner. One, all these people, I disagree with you. I'll write you a letter to let you know all the reasons I do. One who said, why don't you come over for dinner? She accepted the invitation to dinner, and over the next two years, they became friends with Ken and his wife, Floyd. They entered my world, she recalls. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act as if such conversations were polluting them. And they did not treat me like a blank slate. Meanwhile, Butterfield continued to now read the Bible many times in multiple translations. And she finally found herself in the pew of that pastor's church, feeling conspicuous with her butch haircut. And then one ordinary day, I came to Jesus, open-handed and naked. 
In this war of worldviews, Ken was there. Floyd was there. The church that had been praying for me for years was there. And Jesus triumphed. And I was a broken mess. Conversion was a train wreck. I did not want to lose everything that I loved. But the voice of God sang a sanguine love song in the rubble of my world. Rosaria Butterfield, now herself a pastor's wife, still champions morality, justice, and compassion. She came to faith in search of a foundation for what she valued, drawn by the tender care of two Christians who graciously pointed her to that foundation. I read you that story just to say this. I think it's really meant to be a lot like that. It's what we see Jesus doing. It's inviting people around the table. Are we known, are we known as people who gather? The table is where relationship happens. All the arguments in the world, all the, hey, here's what I think, all the, you know, here's what you should do, they just don't stack up to getting people around the table and entering into deep relationship with them. The reason the table is so powerful is because the table is where relationship happens. Sometimes we want a fast food approach to evangelism. If I just tell you X, Y, and Z, this is what should happen. Jesus, he just said, let's eat together. Let's drink together. Let's celebrate together. People looking on said, what is with this? All you do, here's what the religious people do. Why are you doing this? Jesus said, this is what the kingdom's like. And he invites people around the table. Now, I... I guess what I, I, I want to just leave us with today, leave us with today, and, and again, as we just continue to unpack this, I, I want us to capture, this is what the life of following Jesus is meant to look like. It's meant to look like people, that other people look at us perplexed and confused by how much joy and celebration there is in our lives. People wondering why we go on partying, as Eugene puts it in the message. People wondering how is it we are so close to, to people who it feels like that's uncomfortably close. But we are people who are willing to sit around the table. Not because we hope that if we just did that long enough, X, Y, Z, but because we love people. And because we want them to know the, the same love that's been poured out to us. We want them to be reconnected to their Heavenly Father. We can't fast food that. I think God would say to us, and I think he would say to True North Church, I want you to be a people of feasting. I think he'd say to us, you know, you sometimes you, I've given you, I've given you such a, 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 a joy that, that is meant to flow through your lives. And sometimes we settle for just wanting to put God in a box, faith in a box, live by some kind of scorecard, rule card, instead of letting the absolute joy of the kingdom flow through us. Knowing this is where it's all going. And our mission now, man, we've got this time in this world to help connect people to the love of their Heavenly Father. So let's celebrate it. Let's eat. Let's drink. And let's, let's enjoy it. And let's let it make, maybe some people might feel uncomfortable, but only because they don't understand what the joy of the kingdom is all about. The Pharisees, they just, they had missed it. They missed what the joy of the kingdom was all about. I'm going to share with you just one last picture and, uh, and I wasn't sure if I would share this today or not, but there was a picture God uh, gave me this week as I was praying and reflecting on this. And, and there may be someone here, this kind of resonates for you, but the picture God gave me was like, you know, he's got so much joy 
that he wants to pour out on us and he wants to release through us in this world, but it's almost like we've shrunk it. And he actually gave me a picture of, of our, our communion cups. And it was almost like he was saying to me, you know, I left you with a feast and it's been shrunk down to the tiniest cup you could almost imagine and this tiny little bit of cracker. And it was almost like this picture he was giving me to say, you know what, in some ways, it's exactly what we've done with the joy of the kingdom. We've taken it and we've shrunk it and we've made it neat and we've made it fit in a certain way. And God just wants to release joy. And he wants to release the joy of the kingdom. And he wants lives that are just lived in the fullness of who he is and in the joy of the kingdom. And I want to pray that for us today. I want to give you first just a couple moments right now to sit and listen on your own to anything that Jesus might want to whisper to you today. If you don't normally do this, all you've got to do right now is just sit in the quiet for the next couple minutes and just say, God, is there anything you want to say to me? Is there any part of this message or those verses that God just wants to highlight to you and say, you know what, I want you to get this. I want you to know this, or I want to, I want to take you into this. I just want you to spend a couple minutes just listening. Whatever God might speak to you. Just bow your head if you'd like. Close your eyes. Take a moment of quiet. Just listen what he might say to you. As you just kind of stay in this moment with your heads bowed, I want to pray for anyone who would like to, uh, you know, it may be that there was something in this where you want to take on that mindset of joy, or it may be this, you, there's a part of you that goes, you know, I want to carry that mission. I want to make that first and foremost. Or it may be just saying, Lord, I want to live that kind of life. I want your joy to flow through me. I want to be around the table in ways that, that manifest your kingdom. Or maybe there's something else God whispered just to you today, but if you just want to acknowledge that, I want to pray that God would carry that work out in you. And so if there's something God's speaking to you about, just lift your hand as a way of saying, Lord, I hear you. I hear you. And I want to pray especially for you. It's great. If there's something, you know, anything he's whispering, that's great. It's just a little way of just saying, Lord, I, I'm listening. That's great. You know, it's just acknowledging it. Lord, I hear you. I want this. It's not about to-dos, but it's going to be about asking God to just release that, to do that. That's great. 
That's great. Lord, I want to pray for each person, just lifting their hand to you. Each person who hears what you're speaking, whispering to them today, I want to pray that, Lord, whatever that word is, that it would lead to a release of the joy of your kingdom, that more and more in their life they would experience that taking on the life that you intend for them in all its fullness and allowing that full and complete release of your kingdom and your joy through them. Lord, I pray that whatever you're whispering to them about, they know even today that, Lord, your spirit is at work. It's not something they're going to have to try harder in, but that, Lord, your spirit will just begin to, to make it more real, more deep, more, more whatever you desire it to be, Lord. May it lead them to that joy of the kingdom and may it lead others to know it as well. I want to ask you to stand as well. We're going to stand together as a church. And I want to just pray for us as a church because I believe there's, there's this dimension of this. It's for us as individuals and to respond to what God's doing. And I believe there's a real dimension of what God wants to do in us as a church. That there's a, you know, there, there is a, a, a layer of joy he wants to take us into. And there's a different way of doing life in faith that I think he wants to take a, another step. Now, I'm, I'm grateful. I think this is a joyful place. And there is a lot. I, this is by no means a sense that we are not joyful, but this is a sense that I think God would say, there's more. There's, a, there's, a, there's another way of doing it. There is, there's a follow me further into what you see in Jesus. I'm going to pray for us as a church. And, and if you wouldn't even, let's just open our hands as a way of just asking God, let his spirit make this real in us. Lord, I ask in this moment that you would be releasing more of the joy of your kingdom in us. You'd be freeing us from any kind of, of rule-keeping, score-keeping approach at all to faith and allowing more of the authentic life of your kingdom to flow into us and out through us. I pray that, Lord, as a church, we would be known as a place that makes manifest the kingdom of God in all its joy and in all its fullness. I pray that, Lord, you'd show us how to, to be more like Jesus, that the way we live and celebrate and the way we bring others to the table would, would be perplexing to the people around us. It would cause people to actually ask questions. How, what, what is going on here? And we would be able to say, this is the kingdom come. This is what it's about. Lord Jesus, would you release your joy in us? It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. And you can clap. You can celebrate. You can loosen up. It's, uh, and we are going to sing this song about an unstoppable God. And let's do it with joy in our hearts.